Lord, you are our peace. You are our righteousness. You are our light. And you are the lamp unto our feet. You are the path to the Father. There is no other route. There is no other road whereby men, women can find peace with God. It is only through you, Lord Jesus, where we find this righteousness that comes to each of us by faith through grace when we believe, when we trust, when our hearts are filled with confidence that you are the Christ, that you are the Messiah, that you are the one that was promised in the garden with man and woman first committed high treason against the righteousness and the holiness of God. And now we can only find ourselves back in right standing with God when we come through the door of faith, not by works, lest any of us could be able to boast that we have accomplished this salvation by the works of our hands. But we have received this salvation that is granted to us in the gospel that we receive by faith. Come Holy Spirit now and bless my tongue, my heart, my mind, unclutter my thoughts, Anoint me with that preaching, speaking ability called the gift of teaching, exhortation. I don't have it on my own. I only have it when you, by your divine gifts to each of us, as you have called us and arranged us in the body, and so, Lord, right now, allow that gift to be what you've called it to be. Bless us now, Lord, as we open up your word. This we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, everyone. Please stand to your feet as we're going to get on with it. Here from Romans chapter 12, last week the Lord met us here in his presence. And I hope and believe that he will today as well. Here we are, CSB. Say, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer and share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. 
The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. My sermon last week, I made a couple of statements that we have lots of confusion and misunderstanding about the concept of church or the word church. And that we have lost the sense of reverence in all of this grand, majestic entity called the church. I can remember as a little boy, there was a time when people just when they just came near the premises of a church building. Even the worst cursor would stop cursing. A place where people would gather together. This is what we call the local church, the corporate gathering of worship. People would just come to a place like that. They would take off their hats. They would put out their cigarettes or their CBD. That's what they call it today. Code word for marijuana now. Somebody keeps telling me, man, you're going to have to preach on that because, you know, it's, it's kind of pressing in. So I said, man, I shouldn't have to preach on that. But, you know, can't leave it up for just osmosis, as we say around here. We have to address everything. But I can remember when people just came close to a church building and they would take their hat off, put the cigarette out, pour out the liquor and everything else. It was just a reverence for the whole thing of a church. And it was just a building. So therefore, this message to the children of God is an important thing for us to understand because it is the children of God who make up the visible church. Church is not a building. We know that. But it is the children of God, those who profess to be followers of Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. Which makes up the visible church, those who have been called out of Egypt, called out of the world and called into the light, to the kingdom of God. It was God's eternal design in eternity to manifest his plan of redemption. It was not by accident. It was not by chance, but it was by design that God in eternity, that he called the church into existence to manifest his plan of redemption and the creation of this thing called church. John Calvin, the great reformer from the 1500s, he referred to the church as the theater of God's glory, the theater of God's glory, the orchestra, the symphony of where his grace is put on display. Which one theologian states it this way. He says that the church is where the gospel is made visible. We see it. We see it in our lives. If I would just say, let's just give testimony time. Um, before the second person would, would take the mic, we would all be in tears because we would begin to hear the stories of where we were when the grace of God appeared unto us. How we were messed up from the floor up. Our minds were screwed up. We were, we were hopeless. We were despair. We were two days away from committing suicide. We were just messed up. But look at us now getting married and having children, loving one wife and one husband. We're in our right minds. But how did that, all of that happen? 
Did you go see Dr. Phil? Oprah Winfrey? Nah. You went and saw the true doctor, the great physician who can heal, can truly heal. One touch from the master of Jesus' hands, man, he can, he can take a wayward child and can turn them into a, into a masterpiece. That's who he is. So the church is where the gospel is made visible. And I've been saying that throughout this sermon series that I've been calling it in the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, I titled the sermon message, God's message from God to the whole world. God's message to the whole world. And then chapters 8 through 16, we're in chapter 12, I'm calling it the gospel message to the children of God. Or better yet, the church. And then here we see, find ourselves in Romans chapter 12. In chapter 12, we're calling it gospel message that we believe to those who profess authentically. And what is our response to this message, which brings me to my first keynote slide. What is this response that we have of this great mercy that God has done to us? And for us. So in Romans chapter 12, Paul explains it 1 through 7, then 8 to 12. We skip verse 9, 10, and 11. I stopped it in chapter 11, then I got to chapter 12. And then Paul says, Therefore, referring back to everything that he has said previously in all of the 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul says, Now, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view, of the mercies of God. This good news that God has done for us, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern, talking to the Christians, He's talking to the church. What is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God? Paul says, this mercies of God. The mercies of God is his manifold goodness and steadfast love granted to us according to his will. I have to be honest with you as I was just um preparing for the message and you know before I preach it to you it preaches to me and you know I just have to hold back tears because I don't know if the average Christian really understand when we say the, the kindness and the goodness and the mercies of God that's what sister Karen was trying to exhort us as we were singing that we understand God's goodness to us his mercy so Paul says therefore in view of the mercies of God his manifold goodness to us, his steadfast love granted to us according to his will, which Paul spells out to us in Romans 5, 8, which I want to give you my second slide. He says, but God proves. He, he didn't just talk it, he walked it. He didn't just say it. He did it. That's what I love about God. God's word is bond. God said, I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to show it. 
God proved his love to us. How? How did he prove his love? His agape love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were rebellious, hard-hearted, stiff-necked, rough around the corner, and all the above, God proved his love for us. That Christ Jesus did what? He died for us. Man, that's a great mercy. And then in Ephesians 1, 4, it says, for he chose us. Why did he choose you? We, Paul has spelled this out in the book of Romans, but Ephesians 1, 4, that he has chose us, called us out of Egypt. When? Before the foundation of the world. To be holy and blameless here again in love, in a God pay. He did this before him. God called us and chose us out of the world before the foundation of the world. He called us to himself to be holy and blameless in love. And then Jesus says in John 6, 44, talking about this mercies of God. No one can come to me. No one can get up by their own strength. And say, I'm just going to go to the Father because I can go on my own power and on my own strength. I can just make myself alive. I can turn my, turn my mind from being a bad mind to a good mind. But Jesus says in John 6, that no one, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father himself who sent me drags him. It says in the Greek here, it says, it literally means to drag in the English translation, it draws him. Except God dragged you out of Egypt, kicking and screaming, trying to put your heels in the dirt. No, I don't want to go to the promised land. Man, we wouldn't leave Egypt. But God comes with his dripped hands of grace and mercy. He don't have sticky glue of grace and puts it around your heart and your mind. And he just, you coming out. And he just reaches down and he begins to break the habits. He begins to break the bad mindset and he just drags us out of Egypt. And we come. That's where we are here today. And Jesus says, no one would come except my father would draw them. That's mercy, brothers and sisters. And then Jesus says in John 15, 16, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. And then in John 4, 19, it says first that we love because he first loved us. That's the mercies, brothers and sisters. That's the kindness of God. That we love because he first loved us. And this brings us to where we are in our sermon series. Then how should we then live? How should we respond to this gospel? Which means how should we live together as a family brought together by God himself called the church 
or the body of Christ. Apostle Paul in verse nine, after letting us know and calling us to use, he's admonishing us to use, as we spoke on last week, to use our spiritual gifts. And now Apostle Paul turns his attention to how we as Christians should live with one another. Man, there's ever a time in the American church here in the West that we are to stop and just to peruse over Paul's words to us. Man, this is a time to do it here in the church here in America. And so Paul turns his attention to how we as Christians, how we should live with one another. And many theologians call this part of the chapter here in Romans chapter 12, it is called the Christian ethics. And Paul starts out by giving us in all the foundations to our Christian ethics. He starts out giving to us the one foundation that we all need for Christian living. And then in verse nine, he says, you go back to Romans 12 and go to verse nine, my text here. He said, let love be without hypocrisy. Here we see in Paul's first exhortation, it is to love. That's not by accident. It's the Holy Spirit leading Paul to write this book to us and to the Romans. His, his, his first exhortation around Christian ethics, how shall we live with one another? He says, it is to love. And this Greek word here, in verse 9, is agape. A love that has been demonstrated to us in the gospel. That we now know that Paul says that we ought to do it without hypocrisy. Which means a person who is not hiding his or her true nature by hypocritical words or actions. Paul says, I want you to love, but I want you to love without hypocrisy. Meaning to do what you do, not hiding your true nature by hypocritical words or actions. As Christians, we are called to live in the light. We're not to play a role like a play actor on a stage with a mask on, but rather to be genuine, to be sincere. We are to take our mask off. We've got to take a mask off. Paul says, I want you to love. He's telling the church, he's telling the Romans, he's telling Christians from all time. How shall we live with one another? Paul says to love without hypocrisy. We know what a hypocrite is, saying one thing and being the other. Here is referring to what I just said. It's hiding our true nature, who we are. Paul says to love, but not in hypocrisy. We are to stop hiding in the dark, trying to cover up our brokenness, our defects, 
our shortcomings. This is important as Christians. We don't try to hide our brokenness. What you see is what you get with Pastor Hardy. That's why I don't have no problem with telling my story from Sardis to here. But you watch Christians, they, they, they almost, they try to present something, that's what it says, that they're not, it's, they got a mask on. You know, they don't really want to tell how bad it really was at home when they were growing up. They want to kind of tell it like it was, no, everybody was, that lived here didn't have no sin problems. But Paul is telling Christians in the church that we ought to love without hypocrisy. We ought to take the mask off. What you see is who we are. Men and women that have been broken by sin. And this is important because in my third keynote slide here, my third keynote slide, this is important to understand why this is important for us as Christians to live without hypocrisy. Because in John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, for everyone who does evil, they hate the light. They're doing evil. They're torn from the floor, but they hate the light. And they avoid it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Because Jesus is the light. So Paul says, those who do evil, they hate the light and avoid it. The world around us, the unregenerate, the unredeemed people around us, they hate the light. They live in a state of constant hypocrisy through all kinds of hypocrisy filters on Instagram from Facebook to Twitter. They don't want you to see the dent in their face. I want you to see something else. They live in a state of, of hiding, a state of trying to cover up the human defects of sin and all of its implications in their lives. We see this playing out in the opioid crisis. And all because of all the medications being prescribed for anxiety disorders. It's skyrocketing because of all types of depressions across the board. While that's happening, while all these prescriptions of Xanax and Oxycontin and all these things are being prescribed for depression and, and mental mindsets that are, that are falling apart, people, we see Christianity in America is waning and losing influence over the culture. But Jesus says to those who who do evil, evil's in their hearts. They hate the light and they avoid it because they don't want their deeds, their works not to be exposed. And this is important because this is my fourth slide here, 321. But Jesus says, but anyone who lives by the truth they live by the gospel truth that comes to the light so that his works, his or her works may be shown to be accomplished by God. In other words, we are what we are by the grace of God. As Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. 
Only when we come to the realization and the truth and the light of the gospel, brothers and sisters. And only then, which Paul says, can we detest evil back to Romans. Only then when we come to the truth of the realization of the gospel, only then, Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy and detest all evil. You can't detest evil until you come to truly understand God's mercy, which was demonstrated to us in the heart of the gospel. Because that evil, before it's out there, is in us. And the gospel comes to, to show us our need for God's righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy and detest evil. This word here, detest, means to have a strong, a strong dislike for someone or something implying a repulsion a feeling of intense distaste. True Christians hate all what the Bible describes as evil and wicked. That which is morally corrupt. The immoral deeds all around us and all of the wickedness. True Christians, true followers of Jesus, we don't cherry pick the evil. You got some cherry picking evil going on these days. One person says abortion is wrong and evil. Another person says it's all right. How could that be? As Christians, we all detest that which is evil, that which is wrong in the world. Paul says, love. Let love be without hypocrisy. Take the mask off, be sincere, be genuine, and detest evil. Not some evil, but all evil. And then he comes to verse 10, which is where I'm going to close on. He says, love one another deeply. As brothers and sisters, and take the lead in honoring one another. Love one another. This new family that we are in called the church, the body of Christ. Paul exhorts Christians to love one another. This word deeply or devoted means a love pertaining to love or affection for those closely related to one, particularly members of one's immediate family. The Greek word here is philostorgos. Paul is saying, I want us to, to love each other deeply. This is, this is a, God is creating through the gospel of grace a, a new family. A family that's made up of all kinds of people, all types of brothers and sisters from every nation, 
every every people group. God is calling people into the church. And then he says, I want you to 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 be devoted and to to deeply to love one another, just like you would love your own family member. And this is where I think some people don't understand what I say is the church. God is calling us to to love one another as you would your own brother or sister out of your own mother and father's loins. He's calling the church. Paul is exhorting the Christians in Rome, Jew and Gentile, by the way, to deeply love and then he uses the second word here in this text. I don't like the CSB translation, but I'll read it anyhow. It says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. In the ESV, this word is translated um, brotherly, which is, we get the Greek word Philadelphia, the brother, city of brotherly love, which means to love for blood brothers and sisters. So Paul is telling the Christians that I want you to, 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 to love each other as family members and then I want you to love each other like brothers and sisters as blood relatives. Man, that's, that's, there has to be some kind of a, of, a, of a reality of the gospel to take people who had come out of Egypt who may have hated each other to love each other. As now brothers and sisters, blood family, Christians are our family, or to love each other as family members, regardless of their backgrounds, their race, their nationality, their occupation, no matter what their wealth may be, their education, whether we are attracted to them or like them or dislike them or whatever, we as Christians are called to love each other in this way. Now, I want you to stop before I make my next and final point. This is where I started weeping a little bit, Trayvon. I was just like, man, well, I don't know if the Christians truly understand um, <laughs> what God is, is doing and what he's calling the church to. Um, you know, I have been warning a lot of my peers, my pastor friends and peers, I say, hey, if I was you, I would make my way as fast as I can over to the book of Romans for a host of reasons. Romans it brings us all into a solidarity that we can only find in the gospel. Um, because this is a year or two ago, because I said what's coming in the American church is seeking to do one thing. It's seeking to divide. And it ain't letting up. I was getting a text this morning from a theologian um, sister in Christ. And I don't know where she was. She didn't tell me. She said, Pastor Hardy, she said, the fire is burning. <laughs> she says, what is happening? 
And uh, if I mentioned her name, y'all would know who she is. And she was like, it's like, it's getting crazy. And it's coming every which way. And I told you guys, it was going to pick up steam. And I don't think it's going to let up. So you think it's going to let up? I don't think it is. And so therefore, I think this is important. So my friend, um, so I had a few pastors. We met this past week, a couple weeks, well, actually last week. And they said, man, through your influence, we're in Romans. <laughs> I said, well, you're a smart pastor. <laughs> I said, um, get there and get everybody else to get there because it's in the book of Romans where I'm just walking through the text and I'm not making it up. And so here we are. So Paul is ex exhorting the Christians to love one another with a brotherly affection, like family members, across ethnic, educational lines and everything else, backgrounds, race, nationality. Paul says, God is calling you all in Rome to love each other this way. And now why would God want that? And this is why I started off, what is God doing with the church? What's the point of the church? And this is why I had Chad read what I had him read from Hebrews 10. That was intentional. Do not forsake the assembling together, but spur each other on. Don't, don't stop meaning, Paul says. The writer of Hebrews, which many, many think is Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. He said, don't stop meeting together. Meet together. Get together. And now Paul is telling the church, God's people, the children of God, um, that you are to love one another, that, that he wants us to love one another on this side. Not when we get to heaven in the by and by. God said, I know you're going to love each other up there because if you, if you don't love up there, you ain't going to be up there. <laughs> so if you don't want to love up there, you might as well say, God, well, go ahead and send me down yonder, as they say in the southern language. <laughs> send me down yonder. <laughs> because up there in God's domain, we're going to love. But Paul says he wants us let love be without hypocrisy. And in order to even do that, there has to be a, a dimension in the, in, the, in, in the reality of the gospel of a person. That he or she comes to a place that they're no longer trying to pretend no more. That they can just say that I come from this, I come from that, but, but, but the grace of God. God's grace that's what Paul is saying. We, we Christians can love because we're not pretending. That's what the world based their whole ideal on. They're always trying to pretend, I got this, I got that. But then they're going home and committing suicide. We as Christians, we don't live like that because we know that we were messed up. That's the whole point of the gospel, that we were dead in our sins. Why are we trying to hide that we had it right, that we had our heads on? No, we were dead. During our dead, we were dead. God came to make us alive. Without the God's grace in our lives, we wouldn't even come to him. We wouldn't even want God. We wouldn't even try to come to church. We would not want to please God. But God reaches down and draws us to himself, Jesus says. And now Paul says, I want you to have brotherly love. Philadelphia. I want you to get that Philly in there, not the Philly cheesesteak. I want you to get that Philly love in there. I want you to love each other. But you may say, God, well, he, he a black guy. 
God, I ain't asking you what color it is. I said, I want you to love those who profess to be followers of me. He said, well, he might be a white guy. God said, I ain't asking you that. I'm asking you to love your brother and your sister who's following me. But God, God said, I ain't asking. Paul didn't go into a whole bunch of, but, but love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, but only if they have done and crossed their T's and dotted their I's. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, only if they pay up. Didn't say that. He says love. But why would we even attempt to love? Why would we even attempt to love? Why would we even attempt to even go after this? And what is it that God is after in this thing called the theater of God, the church? where the gospel is made visible to a world who does not know it. What do you think, where does that come from? Where is that, that desire that we would even attempt to even do this thing? That's why we have to understand that Romans 1 through 12, therefore, in view of the mercies of God. Last slide. We have to know that. See, I was choking up when I was reading this you have to know the gospel. Jesus says, I give you a new command. All those who are following him to his disciples, love one another. Hold on, God. See, God's too smart to say, well, I know you just can't do that on your own. You can just don't love your brother from across another. You can't do that by your own strength. He says, love one another. And this is why you have to know. This is where I have it underlined. Just as I have, you got to know God's mercies. You have to know the mercy and the kindness of God to you as an individual. How does God love you? I mean, not, I mean, I, I mean, not genuinely. Let me stop. How authentically? How does God truly love you? Just let that sink in. See, I'm not weeping because I'm. I'm weeping because. I am what I am because of the grace of God. It was God who loved me. It was God that reached down and just saved me from my sins and just, I mean, just made me right in my right mind. He gave me my mind. It was God. It was not Elton working hard to get that. And Jesus says, love one another just as I in the view of God's mercies, in view of what God has done for you and I, do you truly understand that? See, you could say people understand that if you see, if you could look at the church right now through your visible eyes, it would look like no one knows that. Because how they're treating each other. So Jesus either don't know what he's talking about. He don't understand his own redemption plan. He don't have the power to bring it to pass. So therefore, we need to go get another Jesus and call it something else because that's the better way of getting us to the oneness because Jesus can't really do it because he don't have the power to do it. And what he died on the cross is really all for naught. But he says, just as I have loved you. How did he love you? That's what Romans 1 through 12 is all about. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, his redemption in saving us. He loved you and I. You also, you are also to love 
one another. But Jesus didn't leave it there. Guys, this is what Jesus is doing here in Birmingham in Fairfield. I was across the street the other day and the lady said, Pastor Hardy, you got all the white people coming over there? She said, that's interesting. You know, <laughs> I always get, they always get me. I'm just, and I'm just, I'm getting my little joggers and I don't even look like a pastor. One day I'm going to come in here, I'm going to put a hot suit on in the summertime, cufflinks and stuff, put a brim on, <laughs> put some snake skin. I think I, do I still got a pair of snake skin shoes? I think I do. I think I kept one pair. I used to wear snake skins. Believe it or not, y'all probably say, pal, I can't imagine you a snake skin. I had the snake skin, the bow tie, and all that stuff, man. Cuffling, hot summertime, suit was way down here. <laughs> so I still got one or two in the closet. I'm going to keep it for that reason. Just to show y'all. I'm going to just wear and look like a preacher in a contemporary context. But she says, I got to give it to you, I, I, I just ain't seen that before. I said, well, it's just people. She said, yeah, but... Yeah, she kept, she said, yeah, but, and her other lady said, yeah, pastor, what you doing? You, you tricking them or something? <laughs> she, so I got, I ain't got no tricks, but, you know, pocket got linen. I broke it in a $2 watch. What are you talking about? So you got to be doing something. I mean, I've been around 60 years. I ain't never seen that before. I said, well, y'all ever heard of this guy named Jesus from Nazareth? Pastor, get that. I, yeah, we know about him, but. <laughs> See. They don't really believe what they say they believe. So look what Jesus says. By that gospel love, in view of God's mercies, he says, by this, by them over across the street. So y'all don't know, they be peeking out the window, they be watching. They be like, man, white folks coming at us, black pastor, he dressed up, looking pretty swaggery today. He's like, what kind of stuff they got going over there? <laughs> so everybody, they peeking out the windows over there, they be looking and stuff, saying, like, man, I ain't never seen that before. You know, what they got going over there? So Jesus said, by this, everyone. Who's everyone? Outside, people looking in. That's Birmingham, Fairfield, 6 o'clock at night. Black folks and white folks hanging out together. They ain't trying to kill each other. Everybody else trying to kill each other. Why are they over there hugging each other and all that kind of stuff? What's going on? Who, what kind of people are they? By this, everyone would know. Know what? What will they know? That you are. My disciples. But he went a little step further. He said, not that you profess to be my disciple. When you get down to really loving each other. Agape. Brotherly. Affection. Like family. Called a local church. Called a theater of God. When we do that, he says, the whole world will know that he is who he says he was, Yahweh, the Messiah, Yeshua. That's why local church is important. That's why being among each other is important. Now, how can they see that <laughs> if everyone is at home? That's a seen thing. That's how important it is. Satan knows what he's trying to do. You got to see that. We got to be around each other. Well, how are we going to show our love one for another if we're never around one for one of each other? See how important that is? The world can't see it if we're not around. But that woman across the street, she can see it. 
She said, I see it. I'm watching with my own eyes. And I ain't never seen that before, Pastor. People know that black and white in our culture have not been getting along. But what do we believe? We believe God's mercy for each of us. The same mercy that saved me saved Chad. The same mercy that saved me saved Dion. The same mercy that saved me saved Crash. The same mercy that saved me saved Trayvon. The same mercy that saved me saved Sandra. The same mercy that saved Chad saved Allison. It's the same mercy. It's God's grace. And God says, I'm doing this. I'm pulling in. Paul says, you cannot love. He said, love without hypocrisy. It has to be sincere and genuine. What Paul is saying to the church in Rome, you can't skip past Romans 12, 1 and 2. You got to really know that. You don't have to try to be anything else. You don't have to try to act black. You don't have to try to act white. You can just be you because God says, love sincere. Be who you are. Don't try to change your color. Just be who you are and what God called you from. Don't try to put on, well, I got saved, but I didn't get saved from nothing. <laughs> well, what are you here for? <laughs> you should go where the righteous are. We're righteous in pursuit of encouraging each other and spurring each other on to hold on to the unchanging hand of the man with the righteous hand. <laughs> Jesus got the righteousness. We're here because we're all undone. We're all sinfully out of his grace. But God came to save us. And to make us alive. And so Paul says, love without hypocrisy. You know why the world can't do that? Because it says in 1 John that God's love uh, casts out his perfect love, the gospel love. It casts out fear. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, first thing came, first time you see the word fear comes in. They, the Bible says they were afraid and they hid. Because when you're in sin, you won't come to the light. There's fear. So it's fear to show who you really are. It's just, and so the world is filled with fear. So I can't show you that I'm weak, so you might take advantage of me. And this is why you'll see Paul goes through a list of things that the church people do that's totally different than what the world does. We are Christians who have been called out of Egypt so that we may show forth his praises. So that the world may know and believe that we are his disciples because people are watching. And when that building come open, man, and it's on Sunday morning and we're coming out and we're having a cloud. We ain't got to put on no show. Just be who we are. Just be who we are. And what God is doing in Birmingham, he's showing people. This is what, I, this is what the gospel is. It's what it does. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your good word. Thank you, Lord, that you are calling each of us out of our own miry clay of sin. And you're calling us to love without hypocrisy. We're not trying to put on, we're not trying to show somebody what we are and what we're not. We want to love genuinely, Lord. 
And the only way we can do that is first to understand how you loved us genuinely. You knew us where we were when you found us. Who we were, what we were doing, all of our doubts, lack of identity, fear of that, fear of this. But by your perfect love demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ, you drove all of the phobias. Lord, this is powerful. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Even the phobia of, of just knowing another person of a different ethnic group. Lord, what a fear that fear has had on our country. That people had fear of other people because of a pigmentation. But when the perfect love of God was demonstrated and showed up, it drove out that fear as well. For perfect love cast out all fear, all phobias. And Lord, we pray here today, there's anything that's in us that's causing us to hold back, to be pretentious, so that we don't love sincerely, genuinely. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know who you are. Lord, if that's fear, you can see is in us, around us, in us. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Touch us in that area where we are weak so that we can be just a true believer and that we can associate with a rich person and to a poor person. It doesn't matter because we are not trying to pretend. It's a free life of living when we understand this truth that the gospel brings to us all. And so Holy Spirit, right now, all over the room, touch them or her or many under the sound of my voice and bring healing, gospel healing in those areas of their lives. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Chad, come and give the benediction. You can stand to your feet as Brother Chad is coming.